Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Freedom of Species on this beautiful, beautiful Melbourne spring day. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. This includes animal advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and importantly appreciation. We are broadcasting from 3CR Studios in Melbourne, Australia, Live streaming and recent podcasts are available via the 3CR website and all podcasts are available from the Freedom of Species website and iTunes. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Emma Townsend. May the forest be with you. Today our feature chat is with Aviram Rosen who after sorting a sustainable lifestyle over 13 years ago on a couple of acres with his family in India, didn't know what he was really starting. It is an inspiring journey indeed. Aviram and Yorich Rosen started Sedana Forest in Oroville, India. The fruits of this labour, pardon the pun, allows the villagers to cultivate their food and prevents exodus towards nearby city slums by planting the indigenous plants that constitute an ecosystem unique to the region. They now introduce a growing number of people to sustainable living, food security through ecological transformation, wasteland reclamation and veganism in Haiti and Kenya, as well as India. Sedana Forest won the third place in the Humanitarian Water and Food Award back in 2010. Now, this award is an international recognition of the quality of the ecological and humanitarian work done by Sedana Forest in India and Haiti. Since then, the United Nations has also supported Sedana because, well, what they are doing works. Simply put, they plant appropriate trees that feed people, keeping the stress away from people otherwise depending on aid and animal agriculture in these days of challenging climatic conditions. After the interview, we will have some tunes as well as some news and community service announcements. 3CR, radio that's independent, progressive and making a difference. So my name is Aviram Rosin and I'm from Sadhana Forest in Oroville, South India. Thank you very much for spending time with us today, Aviram. I understand you have projects in Haiti, India and Kenya. Where was the first country you set up and what took you there? Okay, so we started in 2003 uh, in India. It's uh, my wife, my daughter and I. She was three years old, uh, my daughter at that time. 
And uh, we moved on to an empty piece of land, wanting to reforest it with the indigenous forest, but also to create a vegan, no business, gift economy based, unschooling, non-competitive community. And so that's what we set up to set out to do and uh, we didn't think that we would have so many volunteers or that we would ever expand to other countries it was not the intention the intention was just to live our lifestyle on that piece of land while uh, restoring it to the original forest so you have the three values there that underpin all your projects veganism unschooling and the gift economy that also underpins all your projects. Can we just delve into them a a little bit further? Tell us why veganism? Yeah, so I've been a vegan since uh, 99 for the past 16 years, and this is a major part of my life, non-violence towards animals and towards people, of course, and trying to protect uh, land, trying to protect uh, uh, resources by having a a thoughtful and sustainable diet. Uh, As you know, uh, uh, the major threat for forests now is uh, animal husbandry, uh, growing food for animals, uh, and not growing food for people. So thinking about that and wanting to also integrate that with my forestry work, because uh, on one hand, I'm planting trees. On the other hand, through my food, I don't want to cut trees. So... Yeah, that, that's what brought me to be vegan. And uh, all our communities, the three eco-villages that we founded called Sadna Forest India, Sadna Forest Haiti, and Sadna Forest Kenya, they're all vegan, 100%, and don't use any animal inputs for their agriculture as well. You use a permaculture system. Why permaculture? We use permaculture. We also use other systems uh, of farming and uh, designing land that are maybe a bit older, uh, like traditional Indian systems. We use, we're not ordered to any system, but we try to use systems when they're appropriate and also adapt them culturally to what people are used to, not to cut and paste from one place to the other, but to be really culturally rooted and relevant. And there's another thing I want to talk about a bit before I ask you specifically about different countries. Tell me a bit more about unschooling. Sure. Uh, Unschooling is based on the idea that children learn because they're curious, not because you teach them. So uh, if you let them uh, express their curiosity and ask you questions and, and be interested in things, they will learn whatever they need to learn, whatever is relevant to their lives. And there is no need to teach them anything unless they specifically ask for it. And uh, this is based a lot on John Holt's work in America. He was an educational philosopher, very, very interesting and very much uh, worth reading. John Holt, H-O-L-T. And Yeah, and and that's how we grew our uh, two daughters, and that's how we also behave with the volunteers. I mean, we don't school them, we don't try to teach them or to uh, test them or to ask them for diplomas before they come to volunteer. We welcome anybody with goodwill, and they learn as they go, freely, because of their own wish to learn. You are tuned into Freedom of Species on 3CR 855 AM. We are speaking with Aviram Rosen, who is the co-founder of Sedana Forest. Sedana Forest 
has projects in Haiti, India and now Africa. In a spirit of human unity, the Sedana Forest aim is to introduce a growing number of people to sustainable living, food security through ecological transformation, wasteland reclamation and veganism. Their energy and resources are focused on the creation of a vibrant, indigenous, tropical, dry, evergreen forest. Can you tell us now about the gift economy philosophy that underpins your your projects as well? So gift economy is trust. Okay, it's it's a combination of trust and kindness. And trust and kindness come only from abundance. When you have abundance, when you feel that you have abundance, that you have everything you need, and it doesn't matter what you have, you may not have almost anything physical, but when you feel it's enough, emotionally, physically, you can give, you can share, and you can trust that you will receive what you need. So basically, permaculture is about creating abundance and uh, cultivating the feeling of abundance inside of you. And that's what we do. I mean, we don't charge people. We, I don't charge for workshops. Uh, just now we gave a nine weeks permaculture course for free. Uh, yeah. Wow. Which cost us a huge, huge amount of money to, to, to give that for free. And we're so happy that we could give it. You know, that people supported us to give it. And there's, you, you know, I mean, when you give a gift, there's no better feeling. So I give gifts all day basically if you feel abundance inside of you and then you can be kind and you can share and you feel trustful that you receive what you need and uh, it enabled us over the last 11 years to really give gifts every day you know to uh, it's like living the life of uh, an eternal uh, santa claus you know mm-hmm. uh, you can just give all the time and and you receive what you need and it's wonderful and it has enabled us to grow from a very small uh you know homestead of a family to a organization that works in three countries without jeopardizing our ideas at all and without doing any kind of business which we don't want to do yeah so it has worked very very well for for us until now and it's interesting that you've managed, you said you kind of uh, have successfully avoided doing any business that you don't want to do. Can you just enlighten me as to what temptations may have approached you there? <laughs> um, I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, we do the Eco Film Club in Sadna Forest, India. Every week, we invite people to have a tour of the place for two and a half hours. Then they see an environmental film and then they eat a, a free vegan organic dinner. And this initiative, we started in June 98, and we have missed one Friday since then because there was a, a huge cyclone here on that Friday. <laughs> and we have served dozens of thousands of vegan organic meals over that time without ever getting paid for them. And, and we have a person that gets the films, and you know, there's a lot of investment into uh, organizing this every single week. And... 
one of our donors at one point, she told us, uh, you know, you have to charge for those Friday nights. You know, it's a, it's a great opportunity to make money for Sadna Forest. Why don't you charge something? And we said, no, we enjoy, you know, having people at our home, at our eco village, you know, enjoying and, and not paying. And this is part of what, why we do this. We, we don't want them to pay. And she just she just couldn't understand it, you know, because in her world, you're giving a service, you're getting paid for it. What do you mean you enjoy giving it for free? <laughs> and she eventually, she, she stopped donating to Sadna Forest because she couldn't understand the depth of giving and what a, what a blessing you have when you're giving. So, yeah, it, you pay a price for not having a business model. Many people ask us, uh, you know, all the permaculture teachers are charging and this, why are you not charging? And we say, yeah, okay, you know, they have their different styles. It's good. There is, There should be diversity also in permaculture. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there should be diversity in, in everything. And yeah, so... So basically you set up a little plot of land thinking you were just going to live beautifully and sustainably with your own little family. And it has just... Uh, formed into three different countries. Your work in Haiti, India and Kenya, can you tell us, are there similar storylines you find in these countries and that's why your your work is valuable there? So, yeah, our, our work in India started as ecological restoration and during that process we've learned a lot of water conservation. A lot. We didn't know anything initially, just nothing. And we learned everything that we learned on the land, you know, uh, uh, on the land, from the rain, from the trees. And all that knowledge we eventually wanted to make use of. And then the earthquake happened in Haiti. And a friend of mine uh, from New Hampshire, Steve Whitman, said, why don't you start a sudden forest in Haiti? And then we, uh, we went there in April 2010 and started Sadna Forest Haiti and took all the this knowledge and applied it to the growth of food forests. So what we do in Haiti is we plant trees that produce food around people's homes so that every family has our own uh, um, guaranteed supply of food. Uh, organic, plant-based, healthy, diverse food. Nuts, fruits, uh, edible leaves that create healthy diet for a family. And we've planted 80,000 trees there with a very, very high survival rate and a very high level of participation from the community. We've trained over 7,000 Haitians in basic wow. permaculture techniques. Yeah, and now five years later, we are, you know, you know we are feeling very good there because uh, the project is going very well. And uh, people are very interested. They're coming from all over the island, from the Haitian side, as well as from the Dominican side, to learn and to share. Yeah, so. You are tuned into Freedom of Species on 3CR 855 AM. We are speaking with Aviram Rosen, who is the co-founder of Sedana Forest. The Sedana Forest aim is to introduce a growing number of people to sustainable living, food security through ecological transformation, wasteland reclamation and veganism. How do you make it sustainable in that respect that the people will definitely look after their forests? So the, the main decision was or question was whether to plant open spaces 
government land and we, which we were offered to do or to or to plant around people's homes and when you plant around people's homes then they have uh, obviously a much higher higher motivation to uh, to protect the trees but the the way we specifically work is like that we have a training center our own four and a half acre uh, training center and demonstration plot the pe people come physically to our center they get uh, a training uh, of three to five hours, the initial training, and then if they want further training, we have a five-day training and we have a nine-week training. Yeah? yeah. Uh, and uh, all of it is free. And after they get the training, they we go with them physically to their homes and we plant around their homes and we uh, take a GPS uh, location of the trees so that we can follow up the trees and see if they're doing well both remotely and physically to come and visit them and if let's say we planted two or three trees around somebody's home and they took really well care of them after two or three weeks uh, we give them a few more seedlings the seedlings are free and then if they take care of those we give them more and more and more and more as much as they would want but if they don't take care well, then we explain to them how to better protect the tree or how to better water it or whatever needs to be done. And then we give them a second chance. But if that doesn't work, we say, okay, for now we, we can't support you with seedlings because you've not demonstrated the ability to take care of them. So many families, uh, most of the families take excellent care of the trees. The trees have a very high growth rate there, but some don't. And then we, we stop working with them. For a while, of course, we'll give more chances in the future. Is Do you find a lot of people that you deal with in, in all three countries, are they asking for, are they wanting to use animals in agriculture as well or they, they're completely satisfied with the, the nutrition that, this, that the forests are providing? So most of the people we work with are not vegetarian or vegan and, of course, they eat uh, animal-based food as well because that's what they're used to and and that's you know that's okay i mean we we can't we don't want to change anyone's habits uh, we want to support them if they want to move towards a plant-based diet so we are helping them with the trees and of course when the trees are producing they tend to to consume more from the trees than uh, other things that they have to buy so naturally they are moving towards a plant-based diet uh, but it's not a condition or anything like that. It's culturally not, uh, I, you know, not acceptable to to put conditions like this, and I would never do that. But to give support, that that that's okay. And anyway, the, the some of the ways that people are growing animals for food, like where we work in Kenya, in the Samburu County of North Kenya, the Samburu tribe grows animals through semi-nomadic pastoralism. So they basically move around with the cattle. And because of drought and more and more drought years in the last uh, 10 years, this is not so sustainable for them anyway. It doesn't work. When there is a drought, uh, a long drought, the animals die, it doesn't work. So they are looking for ways in, in order to grow their food alternatively. And Sadna Forest is right there in the right time and the right place to support them in that process by growing trees. Because trees are much more resilient than uh, crops, you know. You can always find very drought-resistant trees that produce food even in the harshest conditions. 
and uh, they don't require that much work, you know, as crops. They are much easier to maintain. So that's what we, we offer, uh, sort of a lazy man's solution to growing your own food. And when I give training to, to people, I always tell them, if you want to work hard, you want to plow your fields, you want to do all that, please go home now. Um, if you want to be lazy and have your food dropping in your lap, stay here. This is the place for you. Do they understand that? Uh, they do. They do. They do. You know, laziness is a great incentive for all of us. <laughs> and um, uh, they, they absolutely do. I, I give them an example of how much, you know, you can grow from a tree versus how much you can grow for a crop. How much hours of work does it take to grow corn, you know, this amount of corn and this amount of, of a, a other seeds that grow on trees and you know, people can can understand that, Matt, very, very well. With the three countries that you work in, talking about like the issues in each country are very similar, where rural communities are affected by climate change and drought, and it, it's pretty much the same story I'm getting here with the people you're helping. If they don't find other sources of food or water, then they're moving into the cities or they're going to continue to contribute to deforestation and, and grazing of the land. Is that too much of an assumption? No, no, I think it's uh, spot on. I think, you, you know, uh, people are coping with very similar challenges. Of course, there are cultural differences and, and uh, the different countries are also in a different pace of development and different stage of their, what we call, you know, development. Uh, but... The issues are the same issues, and we're trying to deal with them uh, with our formula. Uh, the thing is that um, you have to offer that formula, but not to impose it on anyone. So when we come to a new area, like when we came to Kenya, we had discussions with over 500 people, you know, before we started the project to find out if that formula that we can offer, what we know how to do, uh, is at all something they want. Because otherwise we're wasting, you know, our time. And we're, we're imposing something and that's something people don't like, especially people that were exposed to colonialism in the past, in their history. So this effort of fine-tuning our formula to the community, explaining it, understanding how relevant it is, what changes do we need to make in order that it will fit well, is a long and very sensitive and very beautiful process. Do any cultural clashes really strike you as, you know, as being an obstacle? Uh, It's not a question of a clash uh, um, necessarily, but the question of understanding I'll give you a practical example. We're working in Haiti and we're working with volunteers. One of the people that we, when we started working in Haiti, uh, came one day and said, you know, you are a slave owner, you know? I said, how come? (laughs) (laughs) And he said, you know, people are working for you without money. That's slavery. That's where we Haitians come from. We came from Africa and they told us to work without money. And that's exactly what you're doing. The, 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 wow. It took me like a few minutes to, to get my hand around the fact that the concept of volunteerism doesn't exist in Haiti. 
Mm. There is either that you're paid for your work or that you're a slave. That that's that's the what they know. And to come with such a foreign concept and try to explain it is a difficult one. And I think by now we we managed to do it, but it's it's an, a classical example of a cultural differences cultural differences that are so big that one side doesn't even understand what's bothering the other side. You know, it's not that I'm aware that something is wrong. For me, volunteerism, from where I come from, is a totally natural thing. I've always known all my life that there are people who volunteer. But for someone from Haiti, they know that whoever is not paid is a slave. So <laughs> even realizing that there is a problem was difficult. But we solved this problem by explaining this concept, by making it culturally relevant. by So, it, yeah, it took some time. The proof is in the pudding, I guess. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Or in this case, the trees, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your really informative chat and hearing about your wonderful work has been a real honour. Thank you so much for for letting me have this wonderful chance and I hope the listeners uh, enjoyed and they're encouraged to visit our website uh, if they like. It's... uh, sadhanaforest.org so s-a-d-h-a-n-a-f-o-r-e-s-t dot o-r-g and uh, they're welcome to volunteer with us or um, get involved in any way they they want to thank you bye bye have a great day Australians love their digital equipment and that's all fine and good because it increases our quality of life but we need to think more carefully about what we're doing when we're finished with it. E-waste is growing at three times the rate of other municipal waste. 3CR Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future. Because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. 855am Tune in and listen up. Hey, Ivory. Yeah, Jonathan. You're vegan, right? Yes, that's right, I am. Can I ask you some questions then? Sure, man. Of course you can. Are you ready for the questions then? What are you waiting for? Where do you get your protein? Protein, protein. Only meat has protein. So where do you get your protein? Actually, lots of things have protein. Beans have protein. Greens have protein. Fruits and nuts have protein. Greens and seeds have protein. And here's the thing that's so obscene. Don't need so much protein. We have had people comment before on the feral cat issue on freedom of species, but indeed I thought it was worthwhile actually reading this whole article that appeared in the conversation on July 29th titled Let's Give Feral Cats Their Citizenship by Aaron Wallach, who is a university fellow at the Charles Darwin University, and Daniel Ramp, senior lecturer, University of Technology, Sydney, as indeed this is an ongoing issue. I'll start reading now. 
There's been a lot of talk about killing feral cats, with the government's recently announced war on cats settling the goal of killing 2 million by 2020. On the conversation on the previous week, Catherine Mosby and John Reid explained several different ways to control feral cats, including baiting. But we would like to offer a different idea. Let's embrace cats as part of Australia's environment. We would even rename them Australian wildcats. Let us explain. Embracing cats would primarily entail ending our practice of killing cats. This would have many advantages. It would benefit the cats because they would no longer endure our increasingly creative methods of ending their lives. We would also benefit greatly by unburdening ourselves of the task of causing suffering and death to cats. But what may seem counterintuitive is that leaving cats alone can also benefit Australia's threatened species. Being kind to cats can help native wildlife. Many people love cats and do not want them harmed. Advocates for non-lethal approaches to control cat numbers often recommend sterilisation, but this idea is based on the mistaken assumption that feral cats are originating from our homes. Many cats do live among us, but most now exist in a completely wild state including in the middle of the driest of deserts and the lushest of rainforests. Sterilisation can help reduce the number of house cats without a home, but it will not benefit wildlife away from cities. We need to move beyond thinking about cats as either wards or enemies. Several small and medium-sized native species have declined and gone extinct partially due to non-native cats and foxes. Several decades of conservation efforts have therefore focused on killing these predators, a sufficiently long process to learn that this approach is not working. Even highly coordinated and intensive eradication programs backfire. This can happen in two ways. Killing cats even two million of them, can inadvertently increase cat numbers by enabling more cats to immigrate into vacant territories. Conversely, cat eradication can cause population booms of other species, such as rabbits and rats, and therefore result in further harm. Ecosystems are notoriously and wonderfully complex things. They are compromised of dense networks of interactions that bind the fate of species to one another. Cats have, cats have become deeply entangled in this web of life. Attempting to remove cats from Australian ecosystems will not be a clean and painless surgery and it will not heal the patient. Coexistence with cats is possible. For many years, introduced species were believed to be harmful because natives have not evolved the traits to hold their own against them. But we are learning that species can be surprisingly adaptable. For example, when native Australian predators first encounter cane toads, they often mistake them for just another familiar amphibian and readily eat them, 
unaware of the toad's defence, toxic glands on their backs. Eventually, predator populations recover as they learn how to eat them. They learn not to eat them or they adapt to the toxin itself. Such a remarkable recovery has not occurred for many of the native prey species threatened by cat and fox predation, and not because they are slow. Their difficulty instead lies with the very actions we are taking to save them. The number of cats and their influence on other wildlife are a function of ecological context. Major forces that influence the ability of prey to coexist with cats include vegetation cover and larger predators. Grazing and fire can reduce vegetation cover and make it harder for prey animals to escape. Significantly, larger predators such as dingoes are a major threat to cats. Dingoes do more than just kill cats. They communicate with them and influence their behaviour. Cats fear dingoes and stay away from areas frequented by them. They also avoid hunting when dingoes are most active. This creates areas of safety for the prey of cats. Our poisons and traps kill cats, but tell them nothing. From foxes to cats. The war on cats is ultimately a consequence of our failed war on foxes. Foxes have long been held as Australia's primary environmental villain. They are also easier to kill because they more readily scavenge. Meat baits laced with 1080 poison are used extensively in conservation programs. This inhumane poison kills foxes and dingoes in untold numbers and enables cats to breed up and move with impunity across the landscape. For example, a major poison baiting campaign did help re recover endangered woylies for a time, but eventually the loss of foxes and dingoes caused cats to take over and the newly recovered population collapsed. All Australian conservation programs dedicated to restoring small native species on the mainland continue to use 1080. National parks use it, pastoral stations use it, councils use it. It is time to go cold turkey. Embracing Australia's wildlife without prejudice. Cats have become an integral part of the Australia's wildlife and beauty. Many native species successfully coexist with cats, especially when we leave predators alone. Australian wildcats probably provide the same ecological functions as they do in their native ranges, such as suppressing population eruptions of their prey. Killing cats achieves only one outcome with consistency. It produces dead cats. However, the aim of conservation is not to generate an ever-increasing body count, but to guide human behaviour to enable the rest of the Earth's species to flourish. Embracing cats is a paradigm shift. It means embracing the entirety of Australia's modern ecosystems, native and feral, and letting go of the past. It is time to accept these immigrants as Australian citizens. That was an article that was published in The Conversation a couple of months ago by Arian Wallach. 
University Fellow Charles Darwin University, who is also co-founder of the Dingo for Biodiversity Project, and Daniel Ramp, who is a Senior Lecturer, University of Technology, Sydney. Freedom of Species is a show about animals, for animals, listened to by humans. Tune in Sundays, 1pm. You are listening to 3CR 855 AM, Freedom of Species, and it is time for some news. I've got here from fortune.com website, uh, dated the 14th of September. Oscar-winning director James Cameron is promoting a new way to fight climate change, eliminating meat and dairy from one's diet by John Gaudiosi. When Oscar-winning Hollywood writer, director and producer James Cameron isn't making movies, he devotes his time to major environmental causes. Cameron is speaking at the US-China Climate Leaders Summit in Los Angeles on September 15th. During the summit, leading cities from both countries share city-level experiences with planning, policies and use of technologies for sustainable, resilient, low-carbon growth. Cameron's talk with Sam Cass, former White House Senior Nutrition Policy Advisor, is titled Food for Sustainable Nations. Cameron, who went completely vegan four years ago, along with his family, will focus on food systems, consumption and production, and the relationship between food and climate change. Cameron explains how cutting out meat and dairy products can help lower carbon emissions in this exclusive interview with Fortune. Cameron states in the interview, I'm a child of the 60s and 70s and I've always had an environmental awareness, but over the last decade and a half, I've been very focused on climate change and renewable energy. I was really starting to lose hope that we were going to be able to meet our emission goals just because of the lack of international uh, cooperation and government inactivity. And one of the things that gave me the most hope was when I realised what an enormous contributor the animal agriculture was to greenhouse gases. It's 14.5%. It's greater than the entire transportation sector combined, not by much, but all the tailpipe and smokestack, emissions from ships and jet engines and everything on the planet combined is about 13.5%. So this is an area where we could make a big immediate change just by empowering people to make a change in their lifestyle and their behaviour. It doesn't require an enormous technical rollout. It doesn't require new innovation and new engine designs, electrification of the transport system or a massive rollout of renewable energy. We spent 18 months and a significant amount of money looking into the numbers and the research. And the thing that became abundantly clear to us when we met with the experts who are working in nutrition and energy sustainability and climate change is that we can't actually meet our emission goals if we don't address animal agriculture. And that's the thing that's been left out of the conversation. Everybody's focusing on the energy sector, which of course is huge, and to a lesser extent, the transportation section. But they're missing the biggest 
the second biggest single contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. This is a thermostat that we can turn down just by our personal choices. We can do it instantly. Uh, the last question in the article, because I won't read the whole thing, it's quite, uh, quite large. Um, what's your message to people out there when it comes to meat and dairy, Cameron? And his reply was, I don't think we have to ask people to go cold turkey. We just have to ask them to be aware of how the choices that they make of what they put on their plate is having a direct impact on climate. 75% of deforestation in the Amazon is for either pasture land or cropland for soy, which is primarily used as a feedstock for concentrated animal feeding operations, in other words, factory farms. It's all a big related thing, but it's all very complex. It's hard for people to understand, but the simple resounding message is you can be healthier and your planet can be healthier based on a very simple thing that you can do today. And you'll also save money because eating a plant-based diet is just frankly cheaper. It's cheaper to produce plants. It's less carbon footprint, less water footprint, less money footprint and better for you. I keep waiting for the bad news to this story. That was from fortune.com. That was stuck in the middle with you by by Steeler's Wheel, and if that's resonating, how you feel as an activist in light of this week's events, which brought Malcolm Turnbull to become our Prime Minister, then maybe you need some inspiration and some serious collaboration. There are still tickets left for this year's Animal Activist Forum to be held in Melbourne at the Town Hall on the 10th and 11th of October. That's just in three weeks. Now, tickets are about $95. Uh, look, it is it is a fantastic experience. There is an option to be involved in a day of activism on the Friday beforehand, as well as the opportunity to take a tour around the new Edgar's Mission Animal Sanctuary, which assures to delight as well as inspire your activism. So for further information, go Go to www.activistforum.com. You are listening to 3CR 855am, the Freedom of Species show. We have some more community service announcements. Uh, Melbourne Chicken Save will be holding their next rally on Saturday the 26th of September. So that's next Saturday in Burke Street Mall in Melbourne. They will again be highlighting the plight of chickens raised for food in the egg and meat industries. Uh, and as we all know, that's uh, just a, such a, a cruel industry. All the industry is trying to do now is just paint it prettier with, uh, you know, free range labels, etc. But with the broiler chickens, 
they are selectively bred to grow so quickly and so big just to get very heavy breasts because that's what the consumer demand is that they you know they can barely stand up these these poor birds and we know so much about chickens and how intelligent they are and how they're they are sentient beings of course so they feel fear and pain and suffering um, as we all do there is a new tofurkey chicken range of alternatives to chicken meat that will be hitting the shops here in the third week of September. So if you go to the Melbourne Chicken Save Rally, they will be giving away tofurkey badges as well, temporary tattoos that are apparently very cool and information about that product and where it can be purchased. So that's uh, 12 noon next Saturday, the 26th September, Burke Street Mall in Melbourne. All right, we've got... Another announcement, Stardust Circus. Now, Stardust Circus boasts lions, monkeys, ponies and more. It is coming to Miranda in Sydney this September. Please join Animal Liberation New South Wales for a peaceful protest aimed at educating the public about the plight of circus animals, raising awareness of these issues and spreading support for an end to animals in circuses. Although many councils have banned the use of animals for performance on public land, Sutherland Shire Council has not, which is why we would love to support a statewide ban on all performing animals in circuses. Already banned in the ACT, as well as many local, regional and state governments around the world, it is even banned entirely in countries such as Bolivia and Greece. Animal circuses are past their expiry date. So join us in being a voice for the animals at Stardust Circus and calling for an end to animals in circuses in New South Wales. Stardust's brand of family entertainment involves a life of captivity for animals born into the circus. They are denied their natural instincts in small enclosures, transported constantly and forced to perform unnatural and degrading tricks. Help to stop this misery now. Uh, the announcement here from Animal, Liber- Animal Liberation New South Wales asks you to contact Miranda Council directly and urge them to reconsider their animal circus policy. And there's a link here which I will post on our Facebook page. If you are a current ratepayer in the Sutherland Shire Council area, please uh, let them know when you contact the council as well. So the actual peaceful protest is at Miranda Park which is the corner of Kingsway and Sylvania Road and just bring yourselves and any appropriate signs Um, flyers will be provided there Um, and look it's great to dress really colourfully they say um, to attract attention that pretty much wraps up the show for today I'd like to very much thank Aviram Roseanne. Please go to their website because there's many opportunities that listeners might be interested in, in going and volunteering. It would just be an amazing experience within any of those countries. It is great to sort of concentrate on these wonderful solutionaries out there that are actually doing the job of, you know, feeding people and saving animals at the same time and feeding people that are really challenged, you know, in areas of poverty or, or great climatic challenges around them so I found out about these guys through a great organization uh, called A Well-Fed World. Freedom of Species did interview Dawn Moncrief 
the director of a well-fed world last year, but they are an organisation that they often give grants to these types of places that are feeding the world through a vegan basis. And there are so many uh, wonderful programs happening. Unfortunately, as we know in the mainstream media, you only hear about the kind of agenda of uh, major multinational corporations and agribusiness and, you know, they're the ones that are trying to sign sneaky deals all over the world to, you know, just really harness their own markets and for their own, you know, agenda rather than food security in an authentic way. All right, enough of my waffling on. Thank you very much, Aviram. Um, if you'd like to contact us, please do on info at freedomofspecies.org, Facebook, Twitter or the website. For the outro tune today, we have Vegan Nutrition by Potiasi. Have a great week. Carnivorous MCs, best, best go, go home and eat, eat some veggies. veggies. All you carnivorous MCs, best, best go, go home and eat your veggies. All you carnivorous MCs, best, best go, go home and eat your veggies. All you carnivorous MCs, best go home and eat your veggies. Nutrition efficient MCs, that's on a mission. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.